Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Uh, today's message is in, actually in preparation for the service that will be here next week. It's a communion service. Um, when I was growing up, I really had, I was blessed by the fact that I was in a church that uh, had what they call confirmation classes, or some churches call them catechism classes, for young people that they would try to teach them the basics of the faith. And in the church I was in, you were not allowed to partake of communion until you had gone through these confirmation classes. And they lasted from around age 12 to around 14. Uh, there was two years of it. Uh, remember, the first year was focusing on the Old Testament. And one of the assignments that we had that first year was to memorize the Ten Commandments. And what I can remember from that was that I did not like the Ten Commandments. <laughs> uh, can you guess why? <laughs> because the uh, I knew that I was not keeping the Ten Commandments. And so there was an uh, awareness of my guilt before God. But the second year focused more on the New Testament. And one of the lessons there was that Jesus Christ had taken the punishment for our sins. And that made sense to me. I understood that. I believed that that was true. I knew that I was a sinner. And I also believed that Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for my sin. And the way that we uh, experience that is through faith. But I had a problem was that I, my understanding of what faith is was not what the scriptures were. My understanding of faith is that it's a reverential feeling toward God. And so my idea was that I want to be sure that when I die, I'm dying in faith. And so I hope that I would have at least a five-minute warning <laughs> And that I could work up that feeling of reverence toward God before I die. Well, with that understanding of faith, I didn't have assurance that I knew that I would be going to heaven uh, when I died. And I'm going to talk a little bit more later about how I came to the point almost 60 years ago of having that assurance. Well, with practice that we call communion here, uh, it also has other names uh, historically. <clears throat> and these different names reflect some of the different aspects of what the meaning of communion is. The word of communion itself is focusing on unity. Our unity with other people in the body of Christ. The, our unity uh, with God. We've been separated from him and now we're brought into con uh, communion with him. Uh, another word for the the sacrament or the ordinance is Eucharist. Not a word that we use probably every day, but it's a word that basically means Thanksgiving. Uh, we have a friend who used to be a member here now is in Cyprus, and he taught me some Greek, and he said one of the, the Greek words for thank you is Eucharisto, uh, Evcaristo. I used to say, no, it's Evcaristo. <laughs> uh, and that's basically the same word as Eucharist. It means thanksgiving and thank you. Uh, another term for this ordinance is called the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Well, what is the focus of that? That's focusing on the fact that God provides what we need. He feeds us. 
spiritually and with all our needs. And another term is the Lord's table, uh, which is, again, a focus on the, the Lord is our provider. He sets the table before us. Uh, as uh, the famous Psalm 23, David says, uh, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <clears throat> well, our main passage, our central passage for today is in from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 28. <clears throat> so I'll just read that here. <clears throat> I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and so in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Well, today I, I want to focus on what communion should mean to us, uh, especially the, uh, these words. The words remembrance, what does that mean? Uh, the the f uh, words the Lord's death, why that's the focus. <clears throat> and the words the worthy manner, what does that mean to us? So first the focus on remembrance. Let me ask you, what was the context when Jesus initiated the communion or the Lord's Supper? What was the context of that? When and where was that? You know, his, he was his disciples. He said, we, I must celebrate the Passover with you. So it was a celebration of the Passover. <clears throat> well, what was that about? Well, the Passover was all about remembrance. Uh, it was a time for a remembering for the, the Israelites, the Jews, to remember what God had done for them, that he had delivered them from bondage. Uh, so Passover was not for them to remember that, but to apply that to their own life. So it was more than just sort of re a recall of the historical fact. He's not saying, oh yeah, that's what God did then, but it's recognizing the same God who did that is the one who I'm following today. Uh, according to one commentary that I read, uh, 87 times, 87 times in the Old Testament, God commanded Israel to remember their deliverance. But the Israelites often got seduced by the, all the, the gods, the pagan gods around them. Uh, one of the reasons they were seduced was that worshiping these pagan gods seemed to them more fun than worshiping the true God. Uh, a lot of these uh, pagan rituals involved things like uh, temple prostitution, uh, even child sacrifice. I mean, there was these... These pagan gods were horrible. 
I mean, the things, the, the debauchery, the, the depravity that they reflected. But the Lord wanted to identify himself as one who had delivered them. He was their deliverer. And so that was the focus of the Passover. Uh, and he even points this out. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the uh, first accounting of the Ten Commandments. And what's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And he goes, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So again, he's focusing. I'm the God who has delivered you. These other gods, no other gods are going to deliver you. No one else will deliver you from the slavery that we're in. So we see that receiving communion uh, is also for us to remember what we've been delivered from. A second focus of communion is the focus on the death of Christ. Um, communion focuses on the cost of our deliverance. And that cost was the very death of Christ. Paul is writing to the, uh, the immature Christians at Corinth and he wrote this. When I came to you, brother, and I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, here's a question. What determines the value of something that's to be bought? Is the value of that thing determined by what the person is asking? or by what the person is willing to pay for it. It's the, what they're, I could say, I've got, I've got this uh, nice uh, fountain pen here, and I'd be glad to sell that to you for $1,000. Does that make it worth $1,000? <laughs> whatever you're willing to pay for it is what it's worth. Well, here's the question. What was God willing to pay in order to redeem us, to take us from being uh, separated from him, to being his children. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you know i got to have one of those quotes in there. <laughs> C.S. Lewis made the statement, it costs God nothing as far as we know to create nice things, but to redeem rebellious sinners, it cost him crucifixion. Paul wrote to these same Corinthians, uh, for you have been bought with a price, therefore, Therefore, glorify God in your body. So if we have been bought, that means we belong to someone else, right? We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. Well, the third thing to focus on in the words uh, that are uh, read uh, was the words worthy manner. Worthy manner. Uh, it is very important that we appreciate what it costs God to save us and so Paul wants us to examine ourselves to see that we are receiving that in, in a manner that's appropriate. He writes this, Therefore, who, as I read before, whoever eats the bread of the, or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and so in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Uh, now, I'll add two more verses that I didn't read before. Uh, verse 29 and, and 30. 
For he who eats and drinks uh, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Well, this, when Paul says a number sleep, he was not talking about taking a nap. He was saying he died. Uh, and he uses that same term in other places that sleep is referring to death. And so he said that it was so serious for them that when they were mis- misusing and <coughs> receiving the Lord's communion in a wrong way, it could cost them their, their very life. Well, when it says in receiving in a worthy manner, uh, I ask myself, what would be the attitudes that we should have to receive that in a worthy manner? Uh, now, I want to make a distinction here. To receive the communion in a worthy manner is not to be confused with thinking that I'm receiving the communion, thinking that I am worthy of that. Does that make sense, that distinction? If I come thinking I'm worthy to receive God's forgiveness, in fact, that's a form of self-righteousness. That was the great sin of the Pharisees who were so opposed to Jesus. Uh, Self-righteousness on the part of the Pharisees was very blatant. They went around bragging about how good they are. But I would suggest that for us, anytime we think that I somehow can do enough good to outweigh the bad, and that will get me into heaven, that's a form of self-righteousness. I'm thinking I can somehow be good enough. And, and that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, so, here are my uh, thoughts. A number of things that occurred to me. Uh, you can ask yourself if these seem to make sense to you. Some of these points you may relate to more than others. Uh, but these are thoughts that I had about what would be a worthy manner uh, based on what Paul has said. Well, first is, is remembering. As I talked about, remembering what God has done, but also remembering what I've been delivered from. Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes that we had this sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. So what we're delivered from is death. In Romans 6.23 it says the wages of sin is death. And that's just talking about the death of this body. It's talking about a separation from God forever in a terrible place called hell. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So we also, as an attitude when we receive communion, suggest that we need to be reconciled with others. Uh, in Matthew 5, chapter 5, it says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and when we receive communion, we're offering, presenting that as an offering of what that God has given us to be able to approach him. If you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So I think it's, maybe it's good that we're having this message now a week before communion because if you need to have time, if some, the Lord brings to your mind someone that you're not reconciled with, uh, if, especially if you can think of someone 
doing something against you, then this gives us an opportunity to go back and ask forgiveness and, and get straight. Paul says, as far as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. Um, also, we need to receive communion with another attitude, with fear or awe. Now, when I said that, I figured there are some people thinking, wait a minute, why do we need to receive communion with fear? Uh, don't we normally think of fear as being a bad thing? Well, it, kind of, it depends on what we're afraid of. Uh, I would suggest to you that actually fear can be a good thing. Uh, if you've learned to, before you cross the street, look left and right to see if a new truck is coming, that's a form of application of fear because you picture what it would feel like to be hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> uh, so fear can save us. If, uh, if you're walking through the woods and you hear a rattling sound, uh, you want to look around and be sure that, that fear could save your life. So all fear is not bad. In one sense, fear is like pain. Nobody thinks fear is good or pain is good. But if I had no pain, I wouldn't know that I had broken my toe and I'd just go walk on that. You know, the, the, the uh, disease of leprosy is a disease of the lack of being able to feel pain. And so people injure themselves and, and get infected and they begin to lose limbs and that kind of thing. So fear can be a good thing. And I suggest... One good reason to fear the Lord is that the Word commands us to fear Him. Uh, the psalmist called us to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now for the believer, it's not a fear that I'm going to be sent to hell because we have a confidence in that. But it's to recognize, we can think of the word awe or wonder. Uh, but uh, this, it's a type of fear, a good type of fear. A second reason to fear the Lord is that he is fearsome. <laughs> you know, he's God and I'm not. <laughs> and I think to, to think of approaching the Lord as he's my buddy uh, is lacking a, a kind of awe and respect and wonder that we should have there if we have a, a correct fear of the Lord. Uh, Revelation 20, 11 through 15, it says, uh, before him each of us will have to give an account of himself. So we're accountable to God, whether we're believers or non-believers. Uh, we will give an account to him. The third reason to fear God is that it should motivate us to witness, to share with those. Uh, I need this much more than I have now, a sense of, of compassion for those who are non-believers around me. What is their fate? The scripture says that those who are apart from Christ, uh, their destiny is a terrible one. Jesus talked about that. He said that one, when he, he would come back one day with his mighty angels, and like a shepherd, he would separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep would go to eternal life, but the goats would go to eternal destruction, eternal punishment. And uh, so uh, another thing C.S. Lewis point at one time, pointed out in his essay called uh, The Weight of Glory, is that we have never met any ordinary people. Everyone that we meet is destined one day to either be such a glorious creature 
that if we saw them now in the state they will be, that we'd, we'd be tempted to fall down and worship them. Either that, or they would become such a, a horrible creature that if we were to see what they would be like, uh, it would be worse than what we could imagine our worst nightmare. So that's the destiny of everyone we are with. I need much more of a sense of compassion. Uh, I tell you, in my flesh, when somebody comes up and they're hostile, hostile to the, to the Lord or Christianity or whatever, there's something within me wants to reject them. But that's not what the Lord did with us. And so I, I'm asking the Lord to give me more of a sense of compassion for those who don't know him. And so that's another reason to have a fear of the Lord, to fear what would happen to those who are without him. Uh, And another attitude that I feel like we should have in receive community is with humility. With humility. Uh, it has been rightly said that the cross was not only done for me, or the crucifixion was not only done for me, it was done by me. It's my sin that was sent him to the cross. And so that, hopefully that would, should humble me. Peter writes, and he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that it may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your worries and cares upon him, because he cares for you. Paul reminds us about one of the more reasons that we should be humble uh, in Romans uh, chapter 5. He writes this, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So here we see the, quali the qualifications that we have uh, for God to want to save us. We are helpless, we are sinners, and we are God's enemies. Not the kind of thing that would... Some people... Uh, it would even preach the idea that God looks at the non-believer and sees they're so precious and so uh, wonderful that he wanted to save us. Well, that's not the picture the scripture gives. We are not uh, within ourselves precious. The value that we have is purely because of the price that God was willing to pay for us. I would say this, that the price that God paid for us the, the terrible price in that cross proves at least two things. It proves how serious our sin is, and it also proves how, how deep God's love is for us. Uh, years ago, when I was on the, the school board, uh, there was a controversy of whether the school board should have a, a devotional or have a, uh, some kind of invocation at the beginning. And some people were saying, oh, this is a violation of church and state. We're 
forcing religion on the uh, students by having an invocation at the beginning of the school board. Well, I just thought, out of uh, 10,000 students in Lynchburg, I wonder how many are watching the school board meetings. <laughs> and, and, if, and if they did, and they heard an invocation, would they feel like, well, I have to agree with that? So it was really a, a silly point. But uh, during that, one of the letters to the editor that was written it, and about that was a woman who was complaining about she didn't want her children exposed to Christianity because it was such a cruel religion that God would torture his son in order to save us. And when I read that, I, I kind of I thought, what a terrible thing to say. But then it occurred to me that in one sense, she had a better grasp of the, uh, the, how terrible the cross is than many of us who have just been gotten used to it. Uh, and their price was a terrible price to pay. And there's no doubt that God would not pay that price unless his love was deep and the value that he placed on our redemption. Well, another condition, uh, attitude I feel we should have is when we come to receive communion is with a repentant heart. A repentant heart. Uh, in 1 John 1, 8-9 it says... <clears throat> If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, the word confess is a, in the Greek is a word that basically means to agree with. So if I'm confessing my sins, it means I am agreeing with God about my sins. Well, that agrees, first of all, I agree that they're unexcusable. Uh, they're ugly. Uh, and they're wrong. But there's also agreeing with God about my sins that the payment for those has been paid by Jesus Christ. So confession, remember, is agreement with God. And so we come with a repentant heart. It's not to excuse our sin. My, you know, I don't know about you, but if I do something, if I mess up or I... I break something or I make a mistake, my flesh immediately tries to think of some, some other person or some other situation to blame for that. <laughs> Has that happened to anybody else here? I'm, I'm the only one here. But uh, that's not being repentant. Repentant is to recognize what we've done wrong. Uh, our sin is hateful and inexcusable, but it's also paid for by Jesus Christ. Another uh, attitude for receiving communion, of course, is with faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the, uh, through the veil, that is, his flesh, is referring to the, the death of Christ. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our, uh, our hearts and our minds sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now this statement, he says, entering with full assurance. Uh, I'd mentioned earlier that I had, at one point, my understanding of what faith was to have a humble uh, uh, 
reverent attitude toward God, and that was did not provide me with the assurance. Uh, well, in November 12, 1960, I met a man who shared with me the gospel, most of what I was uh, familiar with. But one of the things he shared uh, was Revelation 3.20, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him and, and have fellowship with him. And this man, Dave, said, Lee, have you, have you ever invited Christ to come into your heart? And I thought, I thought back around confirmation time. And I said, well, I think so, but I'm not sure. And he said, well, if you're not sure, I don't think that Christ would be offended if you ask him in again. <laughs> and that made sense to me. And so I prayed silently. I prayed and said, Lord, I ask you to come into my life. As you've invited me to open that door, come in, uh, forgive my sin, and, and direct me the Lord of my life. And after I prayed that silently, Dave asked me, well, Lee, did you, did you invite him in? I said, yes, I did. And then he asked me a question. He said, well, did he come in? Well, you know, I, I didn't hear angels singing. I didn't have tingles up and down my spine. And I just said, well... I don't know. And uh, he said, well, let's go back and see what Jesus said. If you, if anyone hear my voice, not with your ears, but with your heart, if you want to hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Lee, did you hear his voice? Yeah. Did you open the door? I said, yes. He said, well, did he come in? I said, I don't know. <laughs> he, he was very patient with me. And after doing this, another one or two times more, he said, well, did Jesus say he would come in? I said, yes. And then he asked this question, would he tell a lie? And it was like, the light came on. I realized the choice was either I believe him or I call him a liar. In fact, in a couple of verses before that, in 1 John chapter 5, I'll look at it talks about if we, if we deny what God says, we call him a liar. Well, I had enough faith at that point to know I was not going to call God a liar. And so I had a confidence that he was in, my, in me. And then he turned to 1 John 5, 13. And it says, uh, these things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you can wish, no, so that you can know that you might have, <laughs> so that you can know that you have eternal life. And I thought, you, we can know? And that's, the, that's what God tells us. We can know that we have eternal life. Other verses that confirm that is in the scripture, like in uh, John chapter 10, and starting with around verse 27, 28, Jesus say, says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and I, they follow me, and I, they will never perish, and no one can take, take them out of my hand. And my Father, who is greater than all, uh, has them in his hand, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So how much more secure can you be that you have, you're in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father himself? Uh, our, our security is not in... Our strength to be able to hold on to God. Our security is in God's strength to hold on to us. 
And so we need to come to receive communion with confidence, with the kind of faith uh, that is trusting God to, to fulfill his promise. One other attitude I feel like we need to have when we receive communion is we need to receive it gratefully with thanksgiving. In Colossians 2, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, establishing your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Of all the things that God gives us, if I can think of nothing other than that I've been delivered from hell, that should fill me with overwhelming gratitude. Uh, I think we need to keep in mind there are millions of our brothers and sisters around the world who are enduring terrible suffering. Uh, they're, they're being burned out of their homes. They're being beaten, tortured, thrown in prison, even put to death. And so whatever kind of things, the trials that we go through here are very mild compared to what millions, I can't remember the number that I read, but many millions of believers are under that type of thing. Uh, and so if we think about them, we need to think about it. as we have communion, communion, they are also, we are in communion with them. Our communion is not only with each other, but with all believers around the world. Well, sometimes it's harder to be grateful than others. Uh, one of the first verses that I uh, was asked to memorize when I became a Christian was 1 Thessalonians 5.18, um, which is, uh, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So in everything, give thanks. Uh, in this past year or so, I've uh, had a, a lot of health issues that have made it difficult uh, to get around. Things that I used to be able to do easily are not so easy to do anymore. Uh, I've got pains uh, of some kind or other. Uh, unless I'm sitting down and being still, there's some kind of pain going on somewhere. Uh, but that's an opportunity to give thanks in a way that is more powerful than giving thanks when everything is comfortable. Uh, if you remember this, the uh, story of Job, Job was being tested not because he had done something wrong, but because God allowed him to be tested. And Job, in the middle of that testing, Job said, Yea, though he slow me, yea, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And so that was a rebuke of Satan in some way that would uh, rebuke Satan in a way that God himself could not rebuke Satan. You know, if I get in a fight with uh, uh, a professional boxer and get knocked down, that's, there's some shame in that. But if I get in a fight with a three-year-old and he knocks me down, <laughs> there's a lot more shame in that. And so when us as weak believers, when we trust God, when Satan is saying, no, you should complain, that's a rebuke of Satan that we have an opportunity to do. So I'm, I'm 
starting to, God has given me the grace to begin to look at the pains that I am having and the disabilities that I'm experiencing as a way to say, God, I'm just going to thank you. I've got far more to be thankful for than to complain about. Far more to be thankful for. If I'm not in hell, I've got more to be thankful for. <laughs> right? So, well, if you agree with these attitudes, that they're good to have, in preparation for receiving communion. Let me ask you this. Aren't these attitudes that we should have every day? Uh, Well, because of this week, I'm going to ask God with his help to, I want to pursue these goals. One, remembering. Remembering often what I've been delivered from. I want to have this week being reconciled. Becoming and staying at peace with all my brothers. Fearful, walking in a healthy fear of the Lord, especially for God to give me uh, more compassion for those around me who are outside of the Lord. Have an attitude of being humble, keeping in mind the reasons that I have to reject pride. With a repentant heart, Praying for the Lord to help me see my sins as he does with his point of view. Not saying, well, that was not so bad. No, it was serious. And then also in faith, trusting the Lord in all his promises when things are looking tough. Check what does the Lord promise he'll do in this situation. And, you know, the Bible is full of hundreds of promises that we can claim. And then also with a thankful heart. Choosing to be grateful in all situations, even in hard times. Now, if any of you here are like me many years ago, have faith, trust, know that you're a sinner, you believe that Jesus died for your sin, but you're just not sure you're going to heaven, uh, I would consider a great privilege and joy for you to talk to me or a, a pastor or anyone else that you have confidence in here. Let's show you from the scripture how you can be confident. How you can know that when you leave this life that you'll be with the Lord. So I hope that is uh, encouraging to you. I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about the price that Jesus paid. If you Have any of you seen this movie The, the, the Passion of the Christ? If you've not seen it, it's very hard to watch. I've I've seen it once, and I've thought about it many times, but I have not seen it the second time. (laughs) But uh, I'll be happy to lend this to you if you would like to take it. It I think it will give you a deeper appreciation of the price that God was willing to pay to redeem you and me from sin. Thank you for listening. Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.